You can be seated. Well, good morning. It is always good to be with you and sing out praises. And in this morning's chapel, the rhythm is going to be a little bit different where there are going to be times of me speaking and being blinded <laughs> and, uh, and times of singing. So be prepared for a little bit different structure today. So as you know, yesterday was the annual observance of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. And beyond being a day off from school and off from work, it's a day that can serve as a celebration of a life well lived. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Dr. King believed in the transformative power of the cross to redeem both individuals and society. This is why he worked for justice knowing that it could cost his life, yet we must not forget that it was his deep Christian faith that compelled him to repeatedly place himself in harm's way. It was his love for God that allowed him to address injustices without hating the people that perpetrated them. Dr. King said, before I was a civil rights leader, I was a preacher of the gospel. This was my first calling and it still remains my greatest commitment. This holiday can also be a reminder of our call to an active faith, expressed by serving others. In James 2, we read, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, well, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And James goes on to write, now some may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, James is pretty direct. He's not questioning our salvation in that passage, but he is challenging the idea that we can call ourselves people of faith, but not follow in the master's ways of expressing that faith by loving others. In the 12th chapter of Mark's gospel account, we read, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to a debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, well said teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt sacrifices and offerings required in the law. And again, that's Mark 12, verses 29 through 33. 
But like all of us, Martin Luther King was a flawed man. He followed in the footsteps of other flawed heroes of the faith, like the Apostle Peter, who denied Jesus, and the Apostle Paul, who persecuted followers of Christ. Like them, Dr. King knew he was imperfect, which he highlighted in one of his final Sunday sermons. This was a sermon that he delivered about a month before he was assassinated. He said, you don't need to go out this morning saying that Martin Luther King is a saint. Oh, no. I want you to know this morning that I'm a sinner like all of God's children, but I want to be a good man. And this morning, if I can leave anything with you, let me urge you to be sure that you have a strong boat of faith. It will be dark sometimes, and it will be dismal and trying, and tribulations will come. But if you have faith in the God that I'm talking about this morning, it doesn't matter, for you can stand up amid the storms. So thankfully, loving others well and doing good deeds does not require perfect people. Otherwise, all of us would be disqualified. But what is required is responding to God's invitations. First, to accept his love and forgiveness, and then to follow in the ways of Jesus. So I want to pause here, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to have a chance to sing out our prayer to deepen our desire to trust God and to follow Jesus' ways on an unpredictable journey of faith. So 
It is well to say that it is well in the midst of challenge is a declaration of a confidence in God. Sometimes we don't feel it outright. But I want you to remember that prayer. As you know, a focus for MLK was living out God's heart for justice. And I want to read just a few of the many passages in Scripture that highlight the attention that God gives to justice. Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. From Amos chapter five, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Wow. Amos had strong words. <laughs> Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. And from Micah 6, what can we bring to the Lord should we bring him our burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O oh people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then from Zechariah 7, this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow 
or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus said these strong words to religious leaders. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So in scripture, just those few passages, we can see that justice is repeatedly linked with mercy and compassion, expressions of faith that are evidenced with love. Justice is an expression of love for God and for our neighbors. And I always believe we should pay attention to what Jesus paid attention to just before his arrest. In John 13, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what does it mean to love each other? Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Meaning we can accomplish a lot, but the impact is lessened or even erased without love being the foundation. If love is missing, then all that we do, even our pursuit of justice, is just meaningless activity. Still, what is love? One of the most familiar passages in all of scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. And it describes attributes of love but also of justice. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So pursuing God's Exercise, call to exercise justice requires this kind of love. And let's be clear, this kind of love that we read about in scripture is sacrificial, it's a perfect love, and it sometimes is more than we can take in. But it's gritty, and it's determined, and it's disciplined, and it's intentional. So again, let's pause and make this next song part of our prayer for the desire and courage to move forward in an active faith a faith that's expressed through love. And for this song, you may not be familiar with it. Feel free to stand or you can stay seated, join in, but let this song wash over you and take in the words again as a prayer, a declaration of faith.
And oh, how we need that confidence to know that we are held by the one who sees, the one who knows, even when we forget. In the fourth chapter of 1 John, the Apostle John pleads, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And that's 1 John 4, 9 through 12. So love is the antithesis of injustice. But what do we mean by injustice? The International Justice Mission defines injustice this way. Injustice is what happens when someone uses their power to take from someone else the good things God intended them to have. Their life, their liberty, their dignity, or the fruit of their love or their labor. I'll read that again. Injustice is what happens when someone uses their power to take from someone else the good things that God intended them to have their life, their liberty, their dignity, or the fruit of their labor, or their love. So here's a biblical example of an injustice, and this is in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. But meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus knew he had been unjust toward others. But Jesus chose to spend time with him above the more righteous folk in the town. Experiencing Jesus' attention and love caused Zacchaeus to repent, to literally change his ways to the degree that he knew he needed to make things right. He needed to address the injustice. Love and unity cannot coexist with injustice. We cannot say that we love a person and then ignore when that same person is experiencing an injustice. James wrote about it. John wrote about it. Jesus said that others would know that God sent him because of our love for one another. So to love God and others requires addressing issues of injustice. This can be done on an individual level or on a structural or systemic level. No matter what type of injustice, action is required to provide relief and to remedy future issues. And as followers of Christ, what injustices might God be calling us to address? Caring about the unborn, related to both abortion and access to prenatal care. 
issues related to education within our public school systems and access to quality post-secondary education, poverty, homelessness, violence and wars across this globe causing people to flee their homes and nations, hunger, the need for clean water, food deserts where there is little to no access to healthy food, especially fresh fruits and vegetables, human trafficking, discrimination based on ethnicity, equity and opportunities and income for both men and women, access to quality, affordable health care, access to work and services for people with disabilities. This is not an exhaustive list, and you may have thought of other things while I was speaking. My point is there are lots of injustices to go around, unfortunately. What might God be calling you to? What might God be calling us to corporately? And at Northwestern, we have ministries that address injustices. We have ministries that reach out. But what might be some additional ones? I named some. There's a pro-life group. There's a group that tutors. There's a group that goes out to homeless people. But what others might be birthed within you, the student body? What injustices is God calling us to? Because as we've read, God is a God of justice. In a book called Strength to Love, which was published in 1963, Martin Luther King wanted a book of his sermons published. He said, we as Christians have a mandate to be nonconformist. The Apostle Paul wrote, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. King wrote, we are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity, of moral nobility, not social respectability. We're commanded to live differently and according to a higher calling. So I'm going to ask you to stand again. Knowing that we're called to express the heart of the Father for justice, let's make this song another song of a prayer, a declaration, a prayer for courage and commitment to this kind of discipleship. Don't 
Child, the one you died 
as I close, I want to read an excerpt from a letter from a Birmingham jail. Dr. King wrote, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one indirectly affects all. So now what? What is God stirring in you? Because we are called to pursue justice. So pay attention to what stirs. Pay attention to what invitations are there. He wrote, in deep disappointment, I've wept over the laxity of the church. But be assured that my tears have been tears of love. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. Yes, I love the church. How could I do otherwise? I'm in a rather unique position as being the son, the grandson, and the great-grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. So my prayer for us this day, Lord, is that we would not fear, that we would remember the songs that we sang out, that we would remember how you whisper to us that we are yours, that you have equipped us and you will equip us. You've promised to give us the words that we need in the moment, in due season. So I pray that we would lean fully into you and trust that you will show each of us individually and corporately as a community of faith at Northwestern what you're inviting us to. We're grateful, Lord, that we get to that we get to, that we have the privilege of being your hands, your feet, your voice, your ambassadors. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your love. Holy Spirit, come again and again to be with us, to remind us, to encourage us and strengthen us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You're dismissed.